right. Well, hello, dear listeners. Welcome to another episode of Wealth Talk. My name is John Ling. I'll be your host. I'm the Chief Marketing Officer. And with me today is Simon Angelo, our Chief Executive, and Alistair Bilkey, our Chief Technology Officer. We are coming to you right now from the safe haven of Auckland, New Zealand, giving you the chance to tune in and listen to a discussion that may make the biggest difference to your wealth. Um, it's day 22 of the lockdown, and I'm looking outside my window right now at the rolling green hills of the Vaitakwe Ranges in West Auckland. Now, a bit of trivia here. This is where they filmed Hercules and Xena Warrior Princess way back in the 1990s. And right now, it's super top secret, but this is where they are apparently filming the new Amazon series of Lord of the Rings. Um, but unfortunately, that's all been shut down now because of the coronavirus lockdown. And fortunately, we are still able to come to you um, on Skype. We are broadcasting from our safe bubble in our individual homes. Simon, Alistair, how are you guys doing? Are you always hoping well? Yeah, yeah, good, thanks, John. Um, doing a, a lot of cooking, I think. For those um, overseas listeners, New Zealand's on a level four lockdown, so we can't even get uh, takeaway food or coffee through the drive-through. But hey, I mean, next week it looks like we might be going down to level three, and uh, that's kind of level four with fries. Good. And yes. you're coping well, Alistair? Yes, yes. Um, getting used to it, um, taking walks regularly around the block, but I really miss those nice coffees from cafes for sure. Yeah, so do I. I always feel that, you know, food and drinks, they taste a bit better when someone else prepares it for you. Um, hope, yeah, hopefully, hopefully, and you know. you don't have to clean up. <laughs> yeah, absolutely yeah. right. Now, for our listeners, a disclaimer, what we're going to talk about today is just a general discussion on the economy and the stock market. This is not personalized financial advice. You should always consult with an authorized financial advisor before you make any major decision with your money. Now, moving on to the big topic today, we are in the midst of the COVID-19 corona storm. It is quite amazing how much can change in just 100 days. What we've seen is stock indexes around the world plunging, um, clocking in drops of 30%. And on March 23rd, we apparently hit the bottom of the market. Scary time, anxious time. But since then, global stocks have rallied and recovered around 15% of their value. What will the next 100 days look like? How will the economy emerge from this crisis? Which assets are worth investing in? So for the first time ever, dear listeners, we are answering your submitted questions. We want to discuss how you could not only survive this historical event, but maybe even prosper once the dust has settled. So I'm going to start off now with a question from Sergio. Sergio is a lifetime wealth investor subscriber, so he gets first priority. In the last couple of weeks, hospitality and travel companies have all taken a massive hit. What are your thoughts on the cruise line and airline industries? Would you say these companies offer a great opportunity in the long term for those who are prepared to take a risk? Now, Sergio, you make a very good point. What we are seeing is 
tourism, travel and hospitality being absolutely smashed and hammered. Um, depending on what you're looking at, some companies have taken an enormous hit, 50, 60, even 70 percent. That's absolutely savage. What do you think, Simon? Is there a comeback from this? Uh, yeah, well, hey, great timely question. And you mentioned um, shooting movies before, John. I mean, this whole thing is a bit like a movie on pause. And previous to the crisis, the travel industry was doing really well. People from all over the world were traveling. Numbers were starting to ramp up from the developing world. And we actually had a pilot shortage. And in a short space of time, we've really hit pause on that movie. And it's now a question that investors need to ask which businesses can survive and recover, rebuild and prosper once this pause gets lifted. Because you've got two events going on here. You've got the health crisis, which is bad enough in itself. And then you've got the economic crisis, which is caused by the lockdowns responding to that health crisis. And it's those lockdowns and those blocks on travel that are really impacting travel companies. They're in the front of the line to get hit. But hey, there is there is a positive side to this, and we're building up, in my view, a lot of pent up demand. So, uh, you know, we're 20, 22, 23 days into this lockdown now, and I was having a chat with my wife last night, and I I think she was getting some some lockdown blues, as many of us are, and she said, well, you know, where's that? Where, where are we going for our next trip? And I thought she meant locally, maybe driving down country somewhere, and she said, no, when can we get on a plane and, and go somewhere? I think in the lockdown, people get bored and boredom sells plane tickets and uh, cruise cabins. So if we take a look at one example, um, international cruise business, uh, Carnival Cruises, they got really hammered. The share price was decimated. But then if you look at how bookings are tracking for them next year, looks to be they could be up 10%. And a lot of these companies are starting to offer some, some really good deals. I think once we get out of this, you know, it'll be a case of see the world while you can and there'll be some good deals to travel. But what we've got to do as investors is really do your homework, make sure the balance sheets can cope with this pause period, this lockdown period. Look at look at the liquidity of the business and kind of look at how long their lifeline actually is. Because one of the worst things for investors is if a company goes into administration you know, as um, shareholders are last in line after creditors. And if there's debt, there may be nothing less. You know, nothing worse for a share investor actually seeing a business delisted and removed from their, their brokerage account and waiting for a long time for that process to go through. Yes, so, that's... I mean, locally, we're seeing travel businesses like here in New Zealand who've been given a $900, a $900 million loan from the government and Auckland International Airport, who have um, who are part, who are undertaking a 1.2 billion dollar capital raise, and the first billion of that was oversubscribed by institutional investors. So I think good businesses are taking steps to shore up their balance sheet and survive the pause, and you know they're preparing for recovery on on the other side of this. Yeah, that's very good, um, Simon. Good pointers there. I yeah, mean, I think what, what investors have got to separate is how much of this is just real fear and panic selling and which businesses are actually in distress and separate out those two factors and then you'll find the good buyers in the market. Yes, yeah, so it takes like real courage to gain buy during a time like this, but you're finding enormous value, but 
do your homework, um, check out the balance sheets. You're going to try to find companies that still be left standing when this is over. Yeah, that's right. And I mean, many of these businesses right now, they are walking a tightrope mm-hmm. and there's not much of a safety net underneath. And it's about which ones can get to the other side. And many of them will. But um, you're, you know, you're buying that risk, and that's why you're able to get such a discount. But we, you know, we're seeing some positive sides to this. I mean, Boeing—they're starting to revamp production in in Washington State using social distancing in their factories. Mm-hmm. So I think there are moves that we're we're going to come out of this, and some of those travel businesses will be poised to uh, ramp up some gains. All right. Well, another question from John C. Do you think the market has bottomed or could there be more significant falls? Now, that's a very intriguing question, isn't it, Simon? I mean, if we look back at the GFC global financial crisis um, a decade ago, we saw drops between 40 and 50% in the stock indexes. But this time around, 30% may actually be the absolute lowest that we go. Why do you think this COVID-19 recession is different, Simon? Well, we've never seen an event like this before hit the markets. I mean, the GFC was different because the banking system locked up and people simply wouldn't spend. But now it's a case where even if they've got the money, it's not safe for them to go out and spend because they might they might get this terrible disease. Now, the golden rule of any economy is your spending is, is my income. So we actually need people to, to go out and spend. And what I'm hoping here is that the cure is not causing more harm than the disease itself. But look, we're not going to know that until we get on the other side of this and have some hindsight. Now, that's a good question around the bottom. I mean, I've been looking at this quite closely. And for me, it seemed to be around the 23rd of March. And the worst discount I saw was in the FTSE of about 35% in the London Exchange. And I do wonder that at that point, a lot of the outcome fears of coronavirus were absorbed and, you know, the market was operating on pure fear. There was a lot of panic selling. And what happens in the early stages of a market event like this is the panic sellers hit sell first. You know, they're like the sheep that run on the first sound of, a, of, a, of the bark of a dog. And, and what that leaves is kind of more more pasture, more opportunities for the experienced long-run investors because the selling almost goes too far. It, it's panic selling. And then there's some analysts who actually say, well, no, it could get worse. There might be a second wave of falls when we see the real hit on company earnings, kind of phase two coronavirus. But given that the panic selling has already produced falls of up to 35%, I'm wondering if we've sort of carried the worst fears of that already. And I would be surprised if we test discounts of more than 30%. I think the other thing we're seeing, John, is there's more upside now. And the market's responding to that. I mean, repricing in the last few weeks, giving back 15%, up to 15%. And uh, I mean, curves are flattening in terms of virus cases and countries and states are starting to come out of lockdown. And then on the other side, we've also got huge government stimulus replacing some of the lost wages, increasing the money supply. 
a significant portion of GDP here in New Zealand being added back via quantitative easing. So that's actually billions of dollars firing back into people's bank accounts. Now, what happens when you increase the money supply? Well, money itself becomes worth less. Interest rates are lower. You look at term deposits now, even long run, you're, you're lucky to get more than 2%. And you kind of get into this scenario where, where cash isn't worth what it used to be. Cash is trash. Now, if you're an investor and you've got some cash, some dry powder, well, then it's a great time to put that into productive assets, especially when those assets are on sale. And the logical place for me as an investor is, is shares and businesses, companies that could do well once we get out of this and can start trading again and reaching their, their potential. Of course, it's going to take some time, but I don't see this event as a long depression. It's kind of more of a disaster where we're applying emergency relief. You know, a storm's ripped through, there's been some damage, and we're now in a rebuilding period. It's not the GFC where we were concerned about the banking system locking up. Mm. But, you know, in saying that, John, we've, we've never shut down whole economies for months on end before, and yeah. we still need to assess that damage. And maybe if it's more, well, more nuclear than expected, yeah, that could push greater drawdown. We're just going to have to wait to see how earnings pan out over the next few quarters. Yes, absolutely, Simon. I mean, woke up. I woke up today, saw the sun was still shining, the birds were still singing, and I mean, a lot of the apocalyptic uh, predictions yet to come to pass. Um, so, you know, it's about basically getting through this period and seeing how you can maximize your investing. Now, question from Cats. How do you think the NZX will perform relative to the FTSE over the next 12 months and then over a longer period, three to five years? The UK has Brexit to worry about, but New Zealand has a tourist downturn to worry about. It's hard to call who will be better place to recover. Now, Simon, you've spent a significant part of your career working in the UK and Europe. Now, first of all, how does the New Zealand economy compare with the UK economy? Also, is Brexit actually a good thing in the long run? What do you think? <laughs> yeah, that's that's a good question there. It's it's a tough question. Okay, so I'll, I'll deal with um, comparing the UK economy to New Zealand first. Um, I have done some time in Europe. Um, that can damage you. Uh, look, <laughs> both, uh, both economies, the UK and New Zealand, actually have a very similar level of prosperity per person. So look, if we look at GDP per capita, they're both sitting on about uh, 42,000 US dollars per person. But there are signs that New Zealand has been pulling ahead of that due to a slightly higher growth rate. Now, if you look at it a little bit more closely, the truth is that if you compare it to other first world Anglo-Saxon economies, the UK and New Zealand underperform. There's a couple of reasons for that. So GDP per person is about 30% less than in Australia, and it's 50% less than in the US. Mm. Now, of course, a lot of that is resource-based. I mean, we don't have the huge mineral deposits that Australia has, for example. But I think there are some other factors. My experience of working in the UK is there's quite high-touch regulation in terms of a compliance culture. 
And uh, I think that tends to set motivation and productivity. Whereas I think there's a real feeling in the US that um, you can start a business and you you know what you make of that is is all up to you and you'll be allowed to get on with that. Um, I mean, I certainly remember working in the UK and I sort of felt if you got amnesia and woke up and wondered where you were and looked around, you may think you're in the former Eastern European communist bloc rather than Western Europe. And I think some of, unfortunately, some of that overregulations come to New Zealand. Um, and the other thing we're, we're dealing with here is we've had quite high rates of migration per capita compared to other countries. So although we're boasting GDP growth of, you know, sort of 2.3% or more, um, a lot of that has come from population growth of 2% or more. And we have to really look hard at that and consider whether that's sustainable and productive growth. Uh, but those are, those are my thoughts anyway on the two economies. Now, the other side of that question, John, he was looking to see which markets may perform better. Um, yeah, <laughs> good question. Difficult question. Um, I think you've got to look before the crisis on this. And I mean, the NZX was, a, was quite a pricey exchange. I mean, it's a very small market, a very small exchange, and it, it, it seems to have been pretty well picked bare. Whereas the FTSE actually offered some value. It had been pulled down since Brexit with slow growth in Europe. So I think over the shorter 12-month term, New Zealand's going to see fewer coronavirus cases and might see market upswing more quickly. But the longer term is going to depend on Brexit. So don't forget at the start of the year, we had that, that Boris bounce where um, you know the market started to feel more confident on what things would look like out of the EU and there was more of a plan there and more certainty. Markets hate any sort of uncertainty. And we actually saw home prices in January across the UK increase by about £2,500 a month. And of course, all that stopped short in February. So as an investor, I'm seeing longer longer run, stronger value in the UK, and perhaps more opportunity there for gains in the long run, but it depends what they make of Brexit. I mean, the FTSE is, is a much bigger exchange. It's a much larger market. There's more industries to choose from. You've got some big global materials and pharmaceutical companies there that obviously you don't have in New Zealand. But I think the key for the UK is whether they can succeed outside the EU. And that's probably an outcome the EU doesn't want because it would perhaps encourage other countries to leave. You know, whether the UK can really deregulate and become sort of a, a Singapore on Thames. And it's quite conceivable under if that's successful, that the FTSE and the pound could really jump. But it's unknown. It's going to take some strategic leadership. We're going to have to see how Boris Johnson does once he once he gets well again. Yeah. Yes, indeed. <laughs> Um, I like what you said about, um, I like the term that you use, Singapore and the Thames. Um, just kind of like as an investor, generally speaking, what can you buy on the FTSE that you can't buy on the NZX? Well, if you look at the opportunity at the moment, which is very large pharma companies with, uh, you know, the resources, laboratories and size of business to develop effective medicines to combat coronavirus and also potentially a vaccine. 
um, you know, you, you need to look at the very large pharma companies that may have the best chance to do that. And one company I watch is AstraZeneca, and they've recently formed a partnership in that area. And even though the rest of the market's really fallen, their share price continues to rise. Very good. Now, just trying to switch topics now. And we've got a property question here from Helen. We've just sold a house. Where should we put the money? Now, this is the million dollar question, isn't it, Simon? If you're an investor now with cash in hand going into the stock market, what would be your best bet while you're taught, Simon? <laughs> well, it sounds like impeccable timing if you've sold your house before this crisis hit, because uh, you may not be able to get such a good price afterwards. Well, like any of these sorts of questions, it depends on your objectives. I mean, are you looking for capital growth? Are you needing more income or perhaps both? So my view is the stock market's pretty much still on sale and there is the chance for recovery upside, but we're also in an environment of heightened risk. So you need to be very, very careful, you need to do your homework. And for those investors who are income reliant, uh, I mean, dividends are being suspended left, right and center out there. So you need to look at the businesses you're investing in and see whether they're able to maintain their dividends. Um, I mean, investing in equities really is a long term investment. And if you need the money in the short term, they they may not be right for you. And as for property investment, we don't yet know what the market's going to do. I mean, rental properties here in Auckland in terms of yield were pretty marginal, pretty marginal. And I not I think that's you know likely going to get worse. But I think any impact on the property market is, is going to be delayed, perhaps by several months, because we've also got a lot of mortgage holidays in place. So some of the pain that may be due to the property market is is going to come later. Um, but I think you've also got to consider that cash itself at very low interest rates and with a lot of uh, government money coming in, you know, you're probably better to deploy that where you can, take some risk, put that into some productive assets, find them at a discount and put your money to work. Mm. Appreciate that insight, Simon. We're still sticking on the topic of real estate. Um, probably talking about a bigger asset now. Pippa has a question. Is the Auckland Airport offer a good deal or is it offset by the dilution in share value, especially in light of the current situation and likely reduced volumes in air travel for some time? What do you think, Simon? Okay, so I think Pip is referring to the Auckland Airport share placement plan, where existing shareholders are able to apply for new shares as part of the capital raise. So the first thing is, if you apply for shares and, and get an allocation, I mean, in theory, that should prevent your holding from being diluted, or at least diluted as much. Um, so if you take the Auckland City Council, <clears throat> They currently hold about 22% of the airport, and unless they take up um, the offer there, they're probably going to dilute to about 18% based on current numbers. Mm-hmm. But I mean, the, the airport is a strategic asset. It has significant property holdings, 
and that uh, placement was priced at $4.66 around there, depending on what the market does up to it. And that's a very significant discount, uh, both on the previous book value and even on the current share price. But I mean, investors do need to keep in mind that that whole sector's been hammered. There's much more, there's a lot more risk. And I think perhaps most alarming for income investors is the airport signaled that they're not going to be looking at paying dividends until I think it was late 2021. 2021, long time. But I mean, the thing to look about, to kind of think about is that, yeah, tourism has been hit. But I mean, air freight, import and export, they're still going on, isn't it, Simon? Yes, but that's obviously a much smaller part of their business. Um, yeah, that's fair enough. Now, Alistair, we're just going to come to you now. Um, you're our crypto expert. So here's a high-tech question for you. Um, speculative question. Bitcoin has often been described as digital gold. Um, how is it holding up during this crisis, given the fact that tourism, travel and hospitality is in trouble now? Does crypto actually provide a credible alternative? What are your thoughts on this, Alistair? Yes, John, that is a very interesting question. I have been asked it a lot. Usually, cryptocurrencies has always been used as a safe haven when the economy faces tough times. But surprisingly, this has not been the case for this global pandemic, COVID-19, which has surprised many, especially me. From my perspective, why I feel the cryptocurrency hasn't been holding up very well is because overall there is less demand and less miners. When I say less demand, what I mean is less people are buying things with Bitcoin, therefore there'll be less demand for the asset itself. Also, there is a lot of miners, a lot less miners, because China is in control of most of the mining factories. And with most of China being in lockdown, it has caused a lot more instability within the network. But that's not just the only reason why there's less miners. Many companies have been focusing their mining efforts on supercomputers, which is used for disease research in order to help scientists quickly discover a vaccine for COVID-19. And miners all around the world rely on China heavily to develop high-tech mining equipment for cryptocurrencies. And with China being in lockdown, they're failing to produce new equipment in time, along with getting them successfully delivered to people around the world. On top of this being said, Bitcoin is getting harder and harder by the day for mining. And Bitcoin's block reward halving is due around May which will mean it will become even harder to get rewarded in Bitcoins for your Bitcoin mining effort. So with this in place, I really think everyone's just a bit uncertain about the future of Bitcoin. Yeah, that's interesting insight, Alistair. I mean, the Chinese Bitcoin connection, a lot of people probably wouldn't have known about it. Now, Alistair, there's obviously some people who do say that you should not put more than 8% of your portfolio in any one stock. Um, maybe you should never put more than 4% into a stock that's considered risky or speculative. Um, but with cryptocurrency, I've actually heard a few people say you should not devote more than 1% of your portfolio to it. 
Now, this is not intended as personal financial advice because everyone's situation is different and this is just a general um, discussion on it. But do you agree with this? Is 1% for crypto too low, too high? What do you think, Alistair? Yes, John. It scares me when I hear people go crazy over Bitcoin. For example, in the 2017 cryptocurrency boom, when I was hearing stories of people putting their houses on the line, I would definitely advise against that. And I think Bitcoin and other cryptocurrencies are a highly speculative investment. Reason being is because the majority of them are not regulated and passed through a central authority. With this being said, you could easily lose, get your assets stolen and potentially not being able to retrieve them back again. And all of this could happen without a single trace. Sounds pretty scary, doesn't it? This has been the case for many people. People who have lost their coins when exchanges have been hacked, exchanges have gone bankrupt, or cryptocurrencies have been stolen by computer viruses. Whereas if someone stole your stocks or your brokerage exchange went bankrupt, you would be compensated to some extent. It, it would all be traceable as it goes through a regulated central authority. This being said, I would back up your case, John, and agree that 1% sounds relatively safe. Well, 1%. Now, Simon, just probably have time for just one more question. Sure. Yeah, Mandy is asking, can you tell me of any charting available for NZX with the charts going back to the launch of companies on the NZX? Also, can you recommend how I could get further info on the companies? There are so few NZ companies available to trade that you would think this info will be freely available to encourage KB traders. How can we manage to trade without assessing them? Yeah, okay. I'm not sure about the um, quantity or depth of charting information out there on New Zealand stocks. Um, it may well be limited. Uh, for those listeners who aren't aware of the strategy, charting is where you look at, at graphs and try to work out the best entry and exit prices on share trades. Um, it's not an investing strategy that I use myself. I'm primarily a value investor where I'm looking at certain business fundamentals, uh, business events, the outlook for certain businesses and also global macro opportunities. The main time I tend to use charting is um, when I'm looking at the overall market. And uh, just recently, I've done some work on the Spanish flu, uh, how that hit the market in 1918. And what we saw there is a big initial drop on the first round of infections. And then there was uh, a swift recovery. But then there was also a phase two, um, a, a sort of a a range of secondary infections and there was another smaller dip before the market, uh, before the indexes started increasing again. Uh, so that's the main time I use charting as um, investor is just to see more broadly what, what is going on. Um, and there was a second part of that question regarding banking. Yeah, so she was just asking, well, how do I get information on like, um, I suppose, we would be the best best source, wouldn't it? <laughs> Read more Wealth Morning. Um, yeah. Well, we certainly have a lifetime wealth investor program where we're actively monitoring stocks and um, providing guidance. 
And yes. that would perhaps provide some insight into into our our strategy. Yes. So we do actually offer stock recommendations and market updates every Wednesday. And you know, for listeners who are interested in getting a bit more understanding into the process of value investing, we do encourage you to take a look at that. Uh, we do provide that service for a very reasonable monthly fee. Yeah, and uh, just wrapping up now, dear listeners, for our next episode, you will have the chance again to submit your questions and you can submit them today and we'll answer them next time. And if you happen to be new to Wealth Talk, please subscribe to our platform to get continued access to new episodes. You can do this by going to our website at wealthmorning.com. That's wealthmorning.com. We are accepting questions from all our readers, but Lifetime Wealth Investor subscribers will be given priority. And again, this will be your chance to tune in, listen and contribute to an exciting discussion that may make the biggest difference to your wealth. Now, again, I have to give you a disclaimer here, dear listeners. What we discuss is always just a general talk on the economy and the stock market. It's not intended as personalized financial advice. You should always consult with an authorized financial advisor before you make any major decision with your money. Right, great, we're wrapping up now. Thank you so much, Simon Alistair, for joining us and giving us your thoughts. We'll Thanks, John. Talk again. It's a pleasure. Thank yeah. you, John. Yeah, we'll talk again next time. Stay safe. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. Bye.